Test one, two. Test one, two. Test one, two, two, two. Let me move this mouse away so I'm not... I should get up on this mic a little. Hey, hi, how's it going? Yeah, that's better. That's a good waveform. Looking for those hot waves. I have to, like, lean forward and crouch down in a really uncomfortable way to get up on this mic. I can really get up on the mic. There we go. (laughs) Whoa! Whoa! No, this is fine. Yeah, that... Let's talk about video games. Yeah. It's like your midnight radio voice. Hello, <laughs> listeners. We're here to talk about Beyond Good and Evil, video game by Ubisoft and from designer Michelle Ansel. <laughs> uh, I would listen to a podcast, like a video game podcast delivered in that kind of voice. <laughs> I don't think we're the ones to do it. No. No. <laughs> Welcome to Abnormal Mapping, Episode 8. I'm your host, Matthew Marco, and with me is co-host Jackson Tyler. Greetings. And we are uh, back after our uh, erstwhile nonsense cast. Is that what we're calling it? The bullshit Uh, cast? uh, The bullshit cast? I don't know. It's your cast. Yep. Is that what you're calling it? The bullshit cast? The bullshit cast. I don't think you can actually submit a title that is explicit into iTunes. That's bullshit. See? <laughs> Works every time. <laughs> that I'm actually delighted by that is maybe the saddest part of this whole bit. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're going to talk, uh, we're going to switch things around a bit and do our Game Club game as segment two, because uh, our segment three is going to kind of dovetail out of it. Uh, and uh, we wanted to do it in an order that made sense. Otherwise, we just spend segment two referencing things we we're going to talk about later, which we've yep. done before. And, and we'll somehow discussing. still find a way to do. Uh, no, we're not going to do that this time. I don't think that makes <laughs> any sense the way I've set it up. I'm a podcast professional. I could go into why, but then then that would be derailing this whole podcast, and we need to get on with it, professionals. Okay, but before we start, I wanted to uh, talk about an addition to our suggested rating list that I'm going to add on by the time this goes up, and uh, that is uh, the book ZZT, or ZT, by Anna Anthropy, yep. about the game-slash-game-making program ZZT for DOS, I guess? I think, it's I think DOS. so. Yeah. Uh, which is a book that I read and Jackson is currently reading that is about that game made by Tim Sweeney. It was a ASCII kind of adventure like RPG kind of game. Yeah. Uh, very early like graphical interface stuff, obviously, if it's ASCII. And how the community took a very rudimentary game editor and turned it into a years-long thing of people riffing and creating communities and what that meant. To people growing up in an early internet era, it's really good. It's yeah, I started reading it the other day. It's fantastically written. Yep, all you of to... uh, unsurprisingly, all of and the Anthropy's books are on our reading list, and they are great. You should check them out. Yep, you should, another uh... fine entry into that list. Yeah, it's good. More video game books, apparently. That's what we I, need. I am pro video game books. Yeah, I so like, am I. I like it. 
someday I'll have to play Spec Ops The Line so I can read that book about it. <laughs> but then you'll be disappointed because you'll have played Spec Ops The Line and then you'll be reading a long-form analysis of a shooter. I bet that book is way better than anything that's in the actual game. I've read uh, the beginning of that book. It is better than anything in the actual game. So yes, so far, <laughs> you're correct. Okay. All right. I think we should move on to segment two then, if that's all we've got for uh, table setting. Is that... Are we doing this? Are we yeah. getting straight in there, talking yeah. about Beyond Good and Evil? Okay. Yeah, let's uh, fuck this segment one. Let's move on. <laughs> is it because we put all our bullshit into the bullshit cast? We did. It's nice. It's uh, I feel clean. <laughs> Not going to talk about Uncharted here. No, sir. No, we'll save that for the next uh, bullshit cast. <laughs> <laughs> if we keep calling it the bullshit cast, we actually haven't referred to it by its actual name now. Uh, it's so. in the main podcast feed. It is called the Cool So Gay Cast. It is Jackson's pet project. It's not true. Yep. Uh, I'll give you the real <laughs> no. deal here because uh, that other podcast is kayfabed. Uh, we both actually. I think this was my idea actually, but yeah. you were hosting and uh, doing most of the work on that one. So it's just yep. us talking about games in a much more lackadaisical way because it's probably games that the other person hasn't played. Yeah, more of that, more just uh, stuff around the games and just yeah. loose conversations. Because we, we like to keep we this We didn't cast. talk about E3, despite Jackson's best efforts. Which, uh, oh, We're never going to talk about E3. I didn't want to... Okay, we know we can't get into the back-behind-the-scenes arguments, rolled music, let's do a quote. Ah, can't even transition well. Say Podcast. <laughs> So for a game club this month, we're playing Beyond Good and Evil, which is a Michelle Ancel game uh, released by Ubisoft in 2003 for PlayStation 2, Xbox, GameCube. There's a PC version, right? Probably. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Wikipedia says it's a PC version. We played the HD version, which came out in 2011 on XBLA and PSN. That's the one you played, right? Yeah, yeah I assume. Yeah, the PS3 version. Okay. Yeah. Um... Beyond Evil is like a third-person action-adventure game, uh, kind of uh, open world where you are a character named Jade, and you go over. You are a photographer, and you get involved in this like conspiracy thing where you're hired by an underground organization to take pictures of the truth. Yeah. And you go through this world and hide on things and hit things with your stick. So that's kind of the setup for Beyond Good and Evil. You really did a good job. Make it sound amazing. 
in that description. I made it sound like the most video game. You did. Which is appropriate, because it ended up being the most video game. But it's not appropriate <laughs> for the setup of Beyond Good and Evil, which actually starts out. No, as... The setup of Beyond Good and Evil is amazing, where you're, you're in this interesting role with like animal characters and human characters and you're this woman who is just a normal woman with a camera she seems cool but not like too cool and she's just tired of all this shit and just wants to go back to her life and yep she just like it runs this orphanage yeah and takes pictures to keep the power and on the, the basically the plot isn't end the war the plot is just get these people away from our home we need to continue living our lives yes uh, which is great and then... <laughs> so, well, the setup of the plot is that there are aliens called the Doms that come out of the sky Dom- and attack at random and kidnap people. Mm-hmm. And the the world is kind of under the auspices of, like, the police control of something called the Alpha Section? Sector? Alpha Section. Do you remember? Okay. And they, uh, you know, purport to be... A, it, like, they provide for the security of all the citizens, but it seems kind of fascist. Kinda, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's very fascist. It's not subtle with what it's doing. The alpha section. It's a very post 9 11 game. <laughs> it's true. You laugh, but it is. It's very I true. I laugh knowingly. That's, yeah, you're right. You're accurate. This is a game that came out in 2003 in all the ways. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting because I don't think there are many video games that are like a like post 9 11 as a genre type of thing. It's true. And uh, the game is part open world, part photography game, part stealth action game. It looks Zelda-y, but doesn't play like a Zelda game at all, except for the like two boss battles in that game, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's structurally similar to Zelda, because you go around with these dungeons. Yeah. And you have the world. These dungeons, in heavy quotes. Yes. The dungeons. So, Jackson, why don't you just tell me what, what you expected about Beyond Good and Evil and what ended up happening? Because Beyond Good and Evil is like a cult classic. It is. Uh, people have been clamoring for Beyond Good and Evil 2 for many, many years. Uh, I I have heard, like, what I had heard about Beyond Good and Evil was that it's good, but the stealth is frustrating. So I was expecting... Uh, I was actually expecting because I didn't know what kind of game it was like a 3D platform with with uh, like stealth elements that were frustrating but instead it's this big like uh, Zelda inspired action game in which like what impressed me right off the bat was the world building is just it's fantastic like the way you start off in your kind of home with the kids and then you go to uh, reggae rhinoceros boat lands and those guys are amazing and then, <laughs> then you yep. go to the city, which reminded me of the the way they do the cities in Mass Effect 2 for some reason. That's uh, Oh, yeah, I, that's that definitely yeah. makes sense. To me, that was like the Star Wars canteen. Like, it was trying to be the Star I mean, Wars canteen. That's what it was trying to be in terms of, like, yes. the story and design. But in how it works yep. in gameplay, it was like, oh. Oh, no, it, you're, you're right. It is straight up Mass Effect 2. Tiny city that is representative of apparently the entire world. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which... But I, I, I love the early world building. I thought it was fantastic. I, I like the first five minutes of the game so much that it probably made me way kinder on it when it started getting deep into bullshit territory. I mean, it lost me completely eventually. But uh, at the start, I was I was really for Beyond Good and Evil 2. It took me by surprise. One of the things I ended up really liking about that game, especially when it's setting up, is that it feels like such a weird menagerie with all these animal people that aren't really explained. Like, it's just, you, there's, like, goat people, and your best buddy's a pig person, and there's those rhino folks running the garage, and every place has, like, this interesting flavor of world music happening in it. 
the rhinos listen to reggae and there's like weird spanish music happening and there's uh like during the races this crazy spanish song is playing yes those races (laughs) yep and during the uh weird uh sci-fi air hockey game there's another ridiculous song uh, game's full of uh, just this mismatch of like cultures and languages and their music and flavor, and it doesn't end up feeling like it's trying to. It ends up feeling like a wholly unique thing. Like I would love to just exist in that world and be Jade action photographer. Yeah, if the game was just here's a world and you're a photographer in it and you got to do these various missions and exist, I would be so much more into that in every single way. But alas. Alas, what? Alas, it Jackson. becomes a video game. Because uh, the first dungeon, which I, I really liked, is you in this cave. Um, mm-hmm. Before you even know there's a shady revolution organization. Because you're with there uh, with this guy who's like in a limo or something. Um, and I liked it because you're just in this natural environment where there's a, a bunch of species. You're not fighting an enemy per se, you're just dealing with the world which uh, I thought was a really cool way to present the combat, which is standard in, like, uh, early parts of games like that, I assume. Um, You know, you fight rats at the beginning of RPGs. It's that kind of thing. Uh, Yeah, there's actually not a lot of combat in that game in general. Uh, But at the the start, it presents it as you're fighting all the indigenous creatures who are just in your way rather than taking out enemies. And Mm -hmm. uh, once you finish that dungeon... It's turn. You go to you go to a factory, and then everything after that um, in the main storyline is just these industrial environments where you're fighting these soldiers or stealthing past these soldiers. You aren't you, you aren't fighting soldiers. You fight soldiers like three times that entire game. You are stealthing past. Towards the end, you fight soldiers a bit, and it it gets so frustrating fighting those soldiers. Yep. Ugh. So the main actual gameplay in Beyond Good and Evil is you infiltrate bases. And you're there to take pictures of suspicious government activity. And to do that, you have to sneak past guards. Because Jade's actually really fragile. Even no matter how much life you give her. Yeah. Like, those enemies will take off like a third of your health. Health ends up not really mattering that much. Because you... No, I know. Because if you die, you respawn kind of in the same room with just, like, four hearts. But it's still frustrating. It is frustrating. I think she she is too fragile for... The way the game opens with her, like, fighting off aliens with her stick like a total badass, it does not pay off in any way. No, I... I don't think she's too fragile. I think it's, uh... The way they do stealth is really interesting, and I would have actually preferred if they had... If it just was a fail state if you got seen? Yeah, or if the fail state, the way to avoid it, was way more just uh, running away. There's no options for fighting back, because... It has this big childlike adventure tone, obviously, because you're this this girl that just goes off into this crazy world and discovers stuff. And the the tone of the stealth early on, where it's just like, I'm not supposed to be here, I need to get past these people and take pictures, is a really interesting tone. It, it works well. They nail uh, that. As opposed to, these people are looking for me and they will kill me if they see me kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, it's a, yeah. way more just, I am committing a nuisance... Uh, whatever the word i'm misbehaving and um i have to get these uh these pictures that they want me to take rather than i have to sneak past them and uh, take them out so i can just cause a revolution so you're telling me that heightened stakes despite being the way most narratives are told don't actually help make your narrative impactful um, that's what i'm saying <laughs> oh that's scandalous scandal here on abnormal mapping uh, i hear beyond uh, good and evil has an opposite view 
you might say it's beyond the black and white binary. It's me putting my headphones down. I'm done. (laughs) Well, that was good. That was this month's episode. Next month, you can join us as we play Castlevania (laughs) 3. Just you playing Castlevania 3 being like, this game's great. I've never actually played Castlevania 3. Okay. Yeah. Uh, It's a pre-RPG one, so I bet I'd dislike it because it's too hard. (laughs) Anyway, should we talk about how the narrative just goes off the rails or should we save we, that for later we can we can do that because i i think the mechanical problems are more like i'm much more bummed out about the mechanical they are problems, they're so. more interesting but i i'm kind of treading a, for some reason even though i know uh we're totally spoiling everything oh yeah there's always, always everyone knows it. that normal mapping is a spoiler cast through and through yeah but i want to want to go into what happens with that so story. Your, your your best friend Paige gets kidnapped you go find him. You find out that they've taken him to the moon because the government is working with the space aliens. Shocker of all shocks. Yep. And you find out Paige was the leader of this resistance movement and never told you because he was sheltering you from all of this conflict because you have a magical power, which was the power that the aliens had but was sealed away in you to keep them from like being able to take over the world. And you're the chosen one who is the only one who can fight them with your mystical strength. Oh! <laughs> the video game was so not that at the start. Beyond Good and Evil was like, you're just this girl in this orphanage and you've got to just do stuff, I guess. Just get these people away from my backyard because I need to have a life. And then you're the- and I need I need to go on missions to take pictures of stuff because I need money to make this thing run. Yeah. And, but even the like the at the start when they were trying to figure out the truth, I, like, I was surprised when the twist was... Um, they're working with the bad guys because I assumed it was going to be better than that and be like, no, the the government is using the war as an excuse to treat their people poorly. Because mm-hmm. that's where I thought it was going at the start. They just wanted to be allowed to live their life, yeah. and it, it was not that at all. Uh, <laughs> because you start out and she's just like, her and Paige go to the hideaway. She's like, I guess I'll work with you. I guess that will help my interests. It's not. I guess this will save the universe. And then the moment where you go back and you learn, oh, Paige was hiding a rocket, or I guess what other secrets does he have? It just starts this slow build towards becoming the ultimate video game. Yeah, where you're not only the chosen one, but you have to fight the fight, and you've got mystical powers, and you get all the goodies, and it becomes this weird, like, where you're, like, flying to the moon and, like, shooting down spaceships. Because the first reveal is that Paige uh, has, like, uh, a plan for you of some kind and was, like, hid you away at the request of your parents. And that's like, okay, that's weird. And the second reveal is that Paige is secretly the leader of the revolution. And then the third reveal is also you're the mythical chosen one. <laughs> also, all of these reveals happen in about a 30-minute span. No, they, they, they're all they're spread out. The Paige is the leader of the revolution and year reveals the mystical chosen one are literally in a half-hour span. Are they? You find out the thing, you get the ship, you go to the moon, you rescue Paige, you find out about your mystical I powers. guess I must have done more side quests, because I remember finding that out and being like, okay, time to do some stuff on Hillis. Hmm. And then... And then uh, because the problem with this game is that it is... Okay, we generally, and me specifically, I don't have a problem with short games. I think short games are great. The problem is that the narrative arc of this game is not supported by enough game to make it feel like it's justified or earned. No. 
like you're on those cool interesting quests and if it was just a photographer game where you get wrapped up in a mystery but you're it's too big for you and you kind of walk away or whatever and you just get the like hints of it that would be a more interesting game and even if it was just the weird sci-fi game it'd be boring but at least it'd be like consistent but that it's both that it starts you off in this very small place then expands this big fly around the world go to the moon and stop the government and an alien invasion all in one swoop game in the course of about eight hours of gameplay is too much yeah because at the start the fact that it's like this really tiny world actually works out in its favor because it gets it makes it very clear at the start that this is a a war that is affecting multiple galaxies not galaxies but it's a wide-reaching epic scope and then it's like but we're focusing on you in your backyard and your planet and you get the sense that there's a world around you but you're focusing very much in your own situation. And I like that a lot. But then it switches to be about this whole epic battle and scale of, like, the ending is almost straight up the ending of Mass Effect 2. Um, When you go to the moon and find all your buddies and whatever in that alien base that's been stealing the people. And the game does not have the scope to match its ambitions at all. Which Mm -hmm. is hilarious in certain ways, because there's that scene... Where the people revolt. Oh yeah, because as you're taking pictures, they're releasing like underground newspaper that outlines all of the travesties the government is enacting upon the people. Yep. And every time you go back to the main town, there's more people like holding signs protesting or whatever. Yep. And as it all comes to a head, it is uh, about twelve people. <laughs> it's maybe even fifteen, I would say. Yeah, poorly animated in like the environment you've been in seventeen times, and they're just—they're not really doing a whole lot they're just, actually. They're just shouting revolution, yeah, and then they turn down the screen and they're like, "We did it! We overthrew the government." Yep. If only it was that easy, we'd have a new government like every two weeks. <laughs> it's true. Just turn off the television and shout revolution. I guess that's official. Yeah, and the problem is that that open world just isn't earned. Like, it's nice that it's small because it feels kind of boutique-y in a way. Like, it's clear that it's meant to be more of, like, the the impressions of an open world instead of an actual open world. Mm -hmm. But they fill it with just enough stuff that you see that they tried to make an open world game and somehow ended up having to, like, cut a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, And there's multiple reasons for that. Uh, There's... Uh, reports that Michelle Ancel like saw the reactions to Wind Waker sailing and decided to shrink the world way down. Um, there, and then there's also this game was rushed out for Christmas you in can 2003. Tell. You can yeah. tell. Well, there's also the fact that the ending is about a 20 minute exposition dump and a terrible, <laughs> awful boss fight, and then it's over. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's just not. It's just not good like it's not paced well and it's not scoped well uh because the dry i would actually really like a game where you're flying around that world going into caves and stuff way more it's uh, because that's the interesting stuff like what's around this bando oh, it's a weird one-off cave that's just like a puzzle of yeah. some sort all the one-off interactions that you can have with that world and be like oh here's a like a far shorter area than one of the main three dungeons and you just do a short thing and find out more about the world and get an yep. orb. And that's great. And like, I remember how disappointed I was when I got my ship because I was like, okay, when I got the jump thing, I could jump over and go to these volcanoes. Okay, I assume now that I've got my ship, I can fly out to a way more locations. And it was just the volcano and that was it. And I was like, oh. The thing I would have really liked about that game with the open world is during those 
areas where you're venturing outside the map if there was not only like those weird exotic animals but there was missions or stories or world building tied into that so you have to go deep you hear a report about this thing that lives deep down in the volcano and you go deep down in the volcano and not only is it maybe some sort of like platforming thing or a puzzle thing but also there's like a weird enemy like and new enemy down there or maybe you uncover something about the world and you get to take your picture at the end because there's there's a great way you could do environmental storytelling in that game that it never actually commits to because it's too busy putting you in stealth sections in like warehouses. And certain parts of that wouldn't even take too much because uh, the game is progression based around those orbs and collecting those orbs in order to uh, get upgrades. But if instead of putting orbs there, they'd put a, a slight bit of world building information or an animal or whatever that you could photograph, and you mm-hmm. take the photograph back and uh, receive payment for it. The fact that there isn't some sort of, like, lore attached to the things you're photographing, like, that would never happen today. And oh, I, no. mean, I, might, I probably wouldn't read all of them, but I'd be interested in some of them. Like, what's that weird seal thing running at the top of the lighthouse at your home? Like, why is that there? That's a weird thing. I don't know. I, I'm, hmm, I wouldn't be as... In, I like the fact that's just that's just a thing. Check it. It's a, This is a thing. I'd be more interested in... Like world building that came naturally from I know, the environment. I know, but I would like I would like world building in all of the aspects. You just want you just want that lore to be fleshed out and well yep. understood. You want a when you're taking good pictures of computers to get uh to get um like door codes. You should also get like lore building stuff like Fallout has, where you like read people's communications. <laughs> Why is all of the lore dump attached to these weird dumb like CD discs that you have to put into your save points and load a new thing every time? It oh, takes forever. Those ah uh, oh, ah those those save points they take forever. Yeah, they really do. I don't know if that's part of the HD port or if it was always like that, but they're bad. The the act of saving takes years in that game, which for some reason yep. frustrated me no end. No, it's terrible because it's a thing you want to do a lot. Yeah, I was saving it almost every save point. Well, I also had the thing where I lost an hour of progress because my game froze up on me at one point, so I, I tried to save all the time. I lost uh, the entire Alpha Section's headquarters. Had to redo yeah. all of that. Oh, great. Yeah. And uh, specifically about the Alpha Section headquarters, there's like these challenge areas where you go into the heavily fortified areas, and they're just kind of a stealth challenge room. And at the end, you get a bunch of orbs. But one of my favorite parts is the final one of those, where you have a weird rooftop chase scene. Yes. Which is, it's, it's a full-on, like, hold the controller in the direction away from the enemies and just run forever. But it was really interesting in that world. I thought it was great. Yeah, and plus, if they had had, like, focus way more on Jade being uh, this person that is never seen, rather than this person that is executing fools nonstop. Um, mm-hmm. That'd be like, oh, this is what happens when she's seen the entire army comes on her and she needs to get the hell out of there. Yep. Rather than, oh, she could probably fight some of these guys off. Yeah. But there's, it's just a lot of, like, padding level design for a game that is not particularly long. Mm-hmm. Like, you're just doing a lot of the same stuff over and over again. That, that, um... You want to talk about that slaughterhouse? <sighs> you want to talk about that slaughterhouse? The slaughterhouse goes on for about seven years. So the second main location of the three, you have kind of three main missions in that game. And the second one is this giant slaughterhouse where it takes you forever to get in because you're on boat and there's a bunch of mines. And it's terrible because the boat controls are bad. <laughs> yes. Um, but once you get in there, you got to go through basically the same dungeon three times. Basically, like it's different, but it's cl- close enough to be exhausting. But within each dungeon, like it's split out into separate rooms, and the, the variation yep. between rooms isn't very interesting either. To take three pictures, 
And then you get through all that, and it takes forever because it's just monotonous. There's a lot of like weird. There's like a gate raising puzzle because this is a video game from 2003. <laughs> yep, that's a really uh, awkward puzzle. And there's a lot of relying on you have a secondary character following you around, and their AI is pretty bad. Uh, <sighs> and there's even like things where you need to get them to a place within a certain time frame that are entirely frustrating when they break. Uh, but you do all that, and then there's not even a boss fight at the end of that. You do your you go in there, you take three pictures, and you drive out. Like it is the most anticlimactic third of a game I've ever seen. Yeah, you get your uh, information, and you're like, okay, let's go, let's go back. There's... With very little fanfare, other than oh, you did that. Uh, you, I'm you're assuming on the way them. out something would happen. Nope, sure Be- doesn't. Because you can attack them in any you order. You fight the exact same like Oprah Overworld boss, which you fight three times. Oh man, those battles are appalling as well. Because, bef- like, they're okay, but just the controls on that um, hovercraft are terrible. And you have to fight yeah. this giant monster thing. And then the, uh, the, final, the final area, like, when you're on the moon, is literally a, like, four-room area, four-environment area. And you just go back and forth multiple times. And Yeah, and there's just, like, one Zelda puzzle where you're redirecting light beams. And it's not even particularly difficult. No, and that's it. You're done. You fight the boss. The bo- final boss is a terrible fight because there is a large segment of the boss where the gimmick is they reverse your controls. I like that. I like that gimmick. Oh, I hate it. I mean, I hate, I hate it in it. practice, but it like the only thing that could um, have made like the the chosen one stuff interesting is if that manifests itself like when you're fighting with these people that have like more powers and messing with your understanding of the controls and the game world itself like if if that's how they're gonna tackle chosen one bullshit just... i don't think that's i don't think the game does it that way like <laughs> no. i don't think that's implicit like i don't think you're that's... attaching meaning to a thing they did is a bullshit move yeah i i am most definitely doing that i'm aware i'm doing that but that's more that it's at least something they did a thing for half a second then it was terribly done you're like oh, i've got to dodge this thing but dodge in the other direction and that, the dodging thing was bullshit anyway, because there's one specific dodge that looks like it's actually going the other way every time. Yep. And I failed it a bunch. Oh, man, that game. Whew. Yeah, you... and then you get the ending, which is not a real ending. Uh, you give everyone souls back who've been kidnapped and drained by the aliens, because you can do that, because you're the mystical chosen one. Yep. And then you get the credits, which are actually nice and sweet. I wish that was the end. But then you get a weird stinger of, oh, is Paige infected by the enemies? Maybe? Tune in next... Oh, don't. No, it's fine. Don't worry about it. We're never going to make another one of those. <laughs> never going to make... Well, you know if they do. They gave this game away with string cheese. <laughs> I mean, only in Canada. But they gave this game away with string cheese. Doesn't speak to a high-quality, long-term investment on your product. I mean, people care about this game, but... Not enough. No, not not enough. And if they did, and I wonder, I wonder why. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. This this is a game that was that came out when they were kids, and they like, enjoyed it then. It's one of those, I right? Mean, even like adults, like the like people who are old enough at that time, and like sure, the first, that's, that's the not... first like little bit, like the first quarter of it, I was all on board because it's kind of Zelda, but it seemed to dispense with a lot of the bullshit. Yeah, and like... the setting's really novel. And uh, like, by the end of it, I even like the weird stealth se- sections for the most part. Uh, but it just doesn't come together at all. No, it has no 
like the story that it ends up telling is actively working against every other element of the game in order to just unravel itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I like I'd prefer the Jade running around being a photographer, very low key style of game, but I'd even take the dumb Mass Effect three chosen one bullshit game that it tries to be in like the last third. But it's neither, and thus it fails both. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I. I. It's just. It's a disappointment because uh, that world is so strong, and I think the like. I liked a lot of the stuff mechanically that it does early on, but it's the world building that actually made me enjoy it. Because it's not like the uh, the photography mechanic is actually really well executed. Because like, you you don't get any information no. about any of the things. It's just like this yeah. is a cool place to exist in, and this is one way to interact and exist in the world. That is, there, that there are works. ways you could make that better. Uh, Many ways. It could, it could be there could be lore attached. It could be a Pokemon Snap thing where the quality of the picture determines how much money you get for it. Yeah, if they, if they made the mechanic of you have to go and take pictures, if it was just photojournalism, the game, I'd be in that. In a modern era, you could compete with people to see who gets like the highest rated picture. Or do you like community votes on pictures? I like the fact that in this game you're a photojournalist and you're covering wars, you know. You're saying uh, Frank West and Jade's <laughs> team up? I'm saying that Jade is a better photojournalist than Frank West because she is the chosen one of the covering the wars. Jade doesn't get PP for taking pictures. It's true. Jade does have. Uh... She gets that Ubi Zenny. I don't actually remember what the money's called in this game. Me it even has a name. neither. Credits. Uh, units. Units? Is it units? I think it was units. That's the worst. Fair... That's worse than credits. Yeah, no, I remember it being worse than credits. I remember the uh, the money uh, beyond good. I like Ubi's any. I think I'm going to go with that. I'm going to say units. I don't know. I googled currency. It didn't say. And I'm not going to look it up right. that far. Rubies. Rubies. Coins. Wumpa fruit. <laughs> oh, that's terrible! You're the worst. <laughs> gears, gears, gears. Always gears. gears. Always gears. Give me those gears. Those gears of war. So, <laughs> we live in a world where Beyond Good and Evil Two is actually probably a video game. What do you want from it? I want it to. Hmm. Okay. So genuinely. Okay. How about this? What do you think it's going to be, and what do you want? From I mean, it's it? going to be in an order. Ubisoft game. So, what do you mean by that? She's going to be climbing up towers. Uh, and uncovering in a bigger the world. open world, the expanded hills. In an expanded, well, that trailer was like fake Borderlands that they released, but that's so many games ago that who knows? Like that was like oh eight, oh nine. That trailer was yeah. released, so who knows? But they did appear to have a desert location there. Yes. Uh, but who knows? But yeah, it'll be uh, climbing towers, larger open world. It'll be an open world Ubisoft game because, of course, it will be. If it was just an, like an Assassin's Creed game, but instead of stabbing dudes, you were taking pictures of animals, would was, you be okay with if that? It was Assassin, if that, that might be the game I want it to be. Assassin's Creed 1, where half the missions are in order to set up the opportunity to take the perfect photograph, and then you had to take the perfect photograph with side missions of just like taking photographs in different locations. I would be play that for days. Okay. What do you, how, what's, what do you want or think it's going to be? I think it's probably going to be what you're talking about. There was that tech demo they said wasn't 
Beyond Good and Evil. Have you ever seen that? Beyond Good and Evil 2? Nope. Where they said it wasn't that, but it's like a lot of like a female character moving through a crowd in kind of a Mirror's Edge slash Assassin's Creed kind of way. Like there was some parkour stuff, but it was very much the moving through a crowd, pushing people aside tech yeah. happening. Uh, and it, so it's probably that, sadly. I bet there's going to be a lot more fighting in that one. Even though I don't know who you're fighting because you've already overthrew the government and destroyed aliens, so... I mean, you have to be fighting the same aliens, otherwise, what the... Yeah, that'd be great if it's new alien, you're, cho- you're the old chosen one, and you and there's can't... new aliens? <laughs> there's new aliens, which what you have nothing the, to do you're with. You're just not the chosen one, <laughs> but you decide to try anyway. And everyone's like, you're the chosen one, so it's like, I'm not, I'm technically, these are different I, aliens. I was, an, I was an other chosen one. <laughs> I chose... This, this mythology <laughs> talks about someone else entirely. <laughs> I got nothing to do with this, I wash my hands of it. I can take photos, I don't know what you yeah. want. <laughs> it's not going to be that. Uh, that was uh, Double H was going to be the chosen one of this mythology, but he had like 17 concussions because he kept running into stuff with his head. So <laughs> he's not capable of doing anything. What do you, did you appreciate the fact that there was a character called Double H? Double H is way better than Page, so yes. Yes. Uh, Page with the apostrophe and the J. Because Double H is the Captain Quirk of Beyond Good and Evil. <laughs> yes. I kept looking at him and wondering why doesn't he speak in a French accent? And Paige has the thing where, like, he's really condescending to Jade, and he's kind of gross. Yes. Like, I know he's gross because he's a pig, and he's kind of, like, farty and, like, gross in that way, but he's also like, oh, little lady. It's just, like... Well, it's like, like, I need to write the stereotype of uh, Southern... He's, like, dadding you and being sexist. It's just the the worst of both worlds. Yeah, which is deliberate. It's like, this is the caricature I want. This is uh, endearing, right? No, because you could have, like, a... Look, look at Pigsy. Pigsy's a great character. <laughs> Bring it back to Enslaved for a second. Pigsy is a great character. That's like a pig-like character who is gross, but like endearingly so. Yep. No, Pigsy's great. Oh, let's talk about how great Enslaved is. Oh. <laughs> we should. We should just play Enslaved. We've already done that. I know. I need to get that special. I never played Pigsy's Perfect Ten. I also so. never played Pigsy's Perfect Ten. I guess they were done. Uh, what I actually would like that game to be, since they're not going to make what I want, I'd like it to be a 2D UbiArt game. Just make it like a weird 2D stuff platformer in the way of like Mark of the Ninja, but you also take pictures of stuff. Why? Why would you want that specifically to be a Beyond Good and Evil game? Because they're not going to make anything else. I mean, if the question is if they it's make more one. Okay, it's more interesting than the Ubisoft game that we're going to get. Yeah. I mean, if I can get anything, I'd like an open world game that had almost no combat, like a Pokemon Snap style, but with a big open world. Yeah. Uh, you can still have stealth stuff. The stealth stuff was fine. Um, less of it, and maybe in more interesting locations, but mm-hmm. it's fine. Yep. But in reality, just give me a 2D game. <laughs> give me a 2D, 2D photojournalist the game. Yeah, and that makes sense to me. Okay, yeah. Video games. That's, uh, we're beyond... Nope, beyond good and evil. Nope, 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 (laughs) nope. No.
for segment three, uh, we're going to be talking about video game openings, which is a broad topic because, you know, most games have openings. Some would say all of them do. Uh, but I just wanted to talk about, like, the first moments of a game or first hours of a game, depending on what type of game it is, and which ones have left impressions on us, which ones have fallen flat, or which ones have contrasted with the rest of their games really well. Um, and that's, uh, that's that's the setup, Matt. That's me bringing the hostly duties. So we were we were doing this in the context of Young and Evil being a great opening in a kind of shitty game. It's not the context that you've kayfabed that. That wasn't actually the context we were uh, that, doing it in. See, I thought that like I legitimately went into this thinking that's why we're doing this. <laughs> that's why I did it in this order. That's why I switched segment two and three because I thought that's what this was about. No, that's why I was saying. Um, that this would still have parts of that because it was in relation to Heavy Rain. Mm. Um, and so that's a big bummer uh, because I only thought of ones that were games that started out really strong and then went off a cliff. <laughs> I've thought of some other ones since then, but man. It's a really hard thing to think about because uh, I don't know. Games can often have really weak openings. Mm-hmm. Like just laying out their tutorials in extremely basic ways. I'm trying. Like I've played some terrible tutorials in my time. Yeah. Uh, but you know, none of the games I'm gonna games... like bring up actually have. That's not true. One of them is a tutorial, but for the most part, they are not really tutorials. Um, which one do you want? Which one do you want to start with? What is the opening you first want to bring to us? Lay it on me. Make your choice. <sighs> I really like the beginning of Grand Theft Auto Four. That's the one. Exactly. That is a, a game I won't I, I won't defend anyone because it doesn't need them my fucking defense. But because uh, no. it's still kind of a garbage GTA game at heart. But the opening where you get off the boat and your cousin picks you up and it's just Nico and Roman rolling around town listening to music and you get set up in this little shop and you just try to like live your life and. Your cousin is such a fuck up, and Nico just doesn't know how to break out of these cycles. And it's, you can see him starting to slip, and him trying to fight it. And it's really low key, and it's a great. It actually the one moment where the storytelling and the mission structure of a GTA game like go together perfectly. We have a protagonist that doesn't want to be a criminal, but doesn't really know another way. Trying to like do normal things because it is kind of tutorializing but it's full of petty crime stuff and then it goes off the deep end where you're robbing banks and murdering people and that's not good but those opening couple hours are they are evocative of a game that is much smarter than Grand Theft Auto 4 actually is yeah like some of the moments I remember is when Nico has that date with someone, which acts as the tutorial for the date mechanics, and it's just like the most ridiculous rubbish thing ever. It's like, what if we go to the fun fair? Yep. Was it this guy that has no idea how to actually exist in the realm of reality that other people do? Uh, it's one of the actual effective parts of communicating uh, GTA 5's cop, tri- uh, not cop, criminal trying to go straight narrative that they always have. <laughs> cop trying to go straight. <laughs> So, uh, counter mine with one of yours. Uh. I really like the opening to Lost Odyssey. 
It's a strong opening. Uh, I'm going to just tack on... I was going to mention Final Fantasy VII. They kind of have the same opening. Let's talk about... Do they? Well, because was the opening of... It's, it's um, Final Fantasy VII is actually more involved. Because it's like a weird... like you. There's like the train that drives up and you jump off and you're in the middle of this mission. to Because you're basically playing eco-terrorists at the beginning of that game. And your mission is yeah, to sabotage a power thing. plant. And you do that. Yeah. But it's very high energy, and Lost Odyssey has the, you're on a battlefield, and it's very, like, epic and impactful in the way the rest of the game really isn't. Because Lost Odyssey, yeah. the thing I like about Lost Odyssey is for a game with, like, super high stakes, it's a very intimate game. But that's what I like about the opening, because the opening has this big epic thing that, without any dialogue, communicates almost everything about that nonsense world in, like, five yeah, minutes. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and then the... Um, media comes down Mm -hmm. and you're the only one left on this battlefield and you have to walk just down these empty roads yeah and it's just this really powerful way of communicating oh okay this is the character you are i mean you don't know any of his characteristics but you understand the kind of game and the melancholy tone it wants to present right off the bat and it does that super effectively yes absolutely that's a good one it is it is and i I like the rest of it as well yeah lost house is a great game get if you haven't played Lost Odyssey, go do that immediately. Not immediately, but at some point, before you throw your 360 in the trash. Don't throw your 360 in the trash. Res HD is not coming out for anything else. You need your 360. <laughs> Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts is not coming out for them. anything else. You need your 360. Good segue. Oh, you you can talk. Uh, that's not on my list. It's not actually a proper big one, but that has a great joke in the opening. The opening where you have to... Because it, it's... The Banjo-Kazooie games, like, you have to now collect things, and you just run on a straight line. And yeah, there's a line of a thousand musical notes <laughs> in a straight line, and they're like, go collect all these, and then you do it for about 30 seconds. They're like, haha, no, we're not going to make one of those. But it's for just yes. long enough. Where it's like, like, is this a joke? And then you keep doing it, it's like, this isn't a joke. You know it's a yeah. joke, but they hold, they hold it for long enough for it to actually work. They don't hold it for too long, and you're like, yeah, I get it now. It, they they nail that moment and then it becomes crazy car designing game or plane design. It's dab. Uh, that's another great mm-hmm. game. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna double up again and say Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite. One of these games remains great. One of them immediately plunges off a fucking cliff. But both do the exact same thing, <laughs> where they give you this uh, like really like intense setup and then give you a space to explore. And then the plot jumps off, and it, it, the plot's irrelevant to my opinions about the openings, but this moment of discovery of this place in both games is really amazing. Both of them are very, like, it's like going through a theme town and amusement park. Like, here's our old west section, and everything's kind of, like, you can feel the facades. Uh, especially in Infinite, where it looks way better, but, like, I feel like the seams show a lot more because of it. It's these beautifully yep. beautifully rendered storefronts, only which like a third of them you can go into, and they all feel very empty on the inside. It just doesn't it doesn't really hold together, but for a moment it's incredibly evocative, and that game shits itself up and down. <laughs> yep, I want to ask a question. This is purely out of curiosity because uh, I haven't played it. What is the opening of Bioshock Two? What do they do there? It's been too long. Okay, so you've I don't remember. It. Cool. I, I, that's a game I really want to revisit. Oh, God, I should have bought that. It was just mm. on sale. I should have. It, uh, it's always on sale anyway. somewhere. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, Me? it's you. I, so I'm up. Sorry. I no, we're just going to switch so, back and forth like this. We're just doing this. We're going to bam, bam, yeah. bam, bam, bam. 
Okay. Uh, Asura's Wrath. Asura's Wrath is just kind of the best video game in capital <laughs> BVG. <laughs> and every other letter as well. All letters yeah, are capital. And, and all there's, the time there's decorative Asura's spaces Wrath. in between all the letters. They're very current apart. And there's their stars in between each letter yeah. as well. Azure's Wrath is a ridiculous video game, and its opening communicates that in every single just way possible, because you're essentially fighting what will be, in quote-unquote, the, the big last boss of the game at the start, which is a tactic many a game yes. uses. And uh, you are just... Uh, it just goes balls out with the crazy ridiculousness off the bat. You're flying through space just launching nonsense at this planet-destroying monster. Mm. It's crazy. And it, like, what's also effective about it is that, one, it has multiple title screens. Yes. Multiple you, press, press um, Yeah, more than one. More you than have one. To commit. Like, there's one when you There's one when you put in the disc. There's uh, one when you load up the um, uh, action in Act 1. And then there's one after the first yep. level. It's so good, but it also communicates uh, everything about what Asura was really effective. Like, because in addition to being ridiculous, it's also a well-told story. That's the thing people don't mention about Asura's yes. Wrath. Uh, and you get this is a guy working in tandem with this crew of people to defend this world. And you, so when you go down to the planet and all this shit is taken from him, you are actually understand his, the titular Wrath. Uh, and it communicates that really effectively, like utilizing heightened nonsense in order to actually create an emotional payoff later. I think yeah. you're smart. No, you're not wrong. That game also has the thing where every chapter is framed like an episode of anime, so it has the next on oh, the, like bumper, the next and oh, it always opens amazing. with like a full set of credits. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And and also like every chapter ends with. Um, like it ends, it has the next time, and then it has like a weird bonus thing, like it, as if it was a comic with like a slight little bit at the end yeah. to read. <sighs> that game, that game. Yeah, uh, I mean we've talked about it before, but everyone should play Astro's Wrath. It's real dumb, but really smart about it. Yep. Um, so I'm gonna just keep doubling up on games. Uh, Super Metroid and Metroid Prime are both really evocative in kind of different ways. Super Metroid is. You, the story, you know, you go to this space station that you dropped off the last Metroid and everyone's dead and it's this very empty place and then you get attacked and there's a boss fight you can't win and then you run away from the place that explodes and you go down to the planet where the first Metroid game took place and it's now, you know, remade as a Super Nintendo game and you go through the final area of Metroid and it's all decrepit and broken down and, like, there's moss hanging off of, like, the final boss's, like, container and you go through and you, you like hit a dead end and when you come back out it all wakes back up again and you can like feel like the engines of the enemy like coming to terms against you. It's actually basically the beginning of Portal 2 is the beginning of Super Metroid. <laughs> Which also has a stellar opening. Yep. I prefer the opening of Portal 1. Uh, I think Portal 1's a better game overall, but the beginning of Portal 2 actually gives me chills, like even replaying it. Which is a bit like Gladys yes. Reawakes. That is one of the best bits. I don't know. Uh, it's hmm. I like it, but I, I nah. My complaints are dumb. It's like, why would Shell reactivate Grados? That's clearly a terrible idea. <laughs> Which I know that. I know you have to do that because otherwise there would be no video game. Uh, 
but I, I like the opening of Portal 1 in a far more... It's far more unassuming. I'll give you that. No, no, no. I, I meant on, like a, on a formalistic okay. level. Like a, the way they communicate in that first image when you look and you're in the cell, you see the portal, you see yourself. Sure. It is... A, a mind-blowing opening in terms of communicating information to the player. I'm still in awe of how they did that so smartly. It's, you're not wrong. It's a good game. Yeah. It is. Uh, controversial you're opinions. Just, describing... Portal and Portal yeah. 2 are pretty good. <laughs> Portal 1's better. It's true. More controversial opinions coming from abnormal mapping right here. But the, you described receiving Metroid maybe really... And Metroid Prime Metroid. has, like, you know, it was such a long time between games. And it opens with this huge, amazing, sweeping... Samus comes in and leaps out of her thing and is first person... You know, it's like a like a camera rotating around her and she... It has the famous shot where it goes behind yeah, her. and then it and zooms in her head the and then you're in a decrepit, broken down space station where something happened. And Metroid Prime is amazing in that it, it manages to be a game mostly about feeling very lonely and sad as you're exploring a, a first person... What looks to be a first person shooter... <laughs> Uh, it's a great game. <laughs> I played about I played about ten minutes of that, and yes, I was I was shocked by just how space never feels that isolating in yep. games. It can do, and some games like, do it really not just well, the, the spaces like, are isolating, space. but you feel very contained in your suit, isolated. And yeah. there's there's the, so like the worlds feel very alive because there's so much stuff to like scan and interact with, but none of it feels like it gives a shit about you. Like it either hates you or it's indifferent to you. Those are the only two states. Well, the UI is like extremely oppressive mm-hmm. in a way that because normally they'll have those in visor type. Oh, UI games you mean the fact that, that like break like your vision is actually obstructed by the, the edges of her visor and stuff. Your vision is obstructive. There's the amount of times it scans things and like goes lines across it. You are very aware that you are separated tangibly from mm-hmm. the world. Um, it and also in addition to that, like the the noise and the sound, like everything about it just creates this feeling of. Fuck! I'm in this space station. What am I going to do? Oh, it's on a planet. Uh, the first, know. the, the opening's you... a space station. The rest is on a planet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I remember landing on the space station. Metroid yeah. Prime, the original Citizen Kane of video games. That's accurate. <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, it was in reference was, to that. Was that yes. where that came from? Oh, okay. There we go. Don't you dare call this episode the original Citizen Kane. <laughs> I would Kane not do that. <laughs> I would not okay. do that. Thank God. Uh, I guess that makes it uh, yes. me next. Uh, in um, a similar, what have we got? We've got on this list. I we I don't know if we should say this to the end because there's a lot to unpack about these games and their openings. But the openings of the openings of Mass Effect games tell a story in of in of. I only give a shit about Mass Effect One. You know this. I mean, it's the only one that I give a shit about. But if you look at what they do for the first twenty minutes of every single one of those games, it's fascinating. Or the first few hours, even like. The opening of Mass Effect 3 is one of the worst game openings I've ever played. I don't know what the opening of Mass Effect 3 is. It, I played it, and I, re- I remember playing I was really excited for it at the time, because even though Mass Effect 1 is where it's at, uh, I enjoyed Mass Effect 2 at the time. I, I mean, yeah, there are things I enjoy about Mass Effect 2. It's just a s- stunning disappointment compared to Mass Effect 1. Yeah, but Mass Effect 1, 3, this has the tone of a Transformers movie. Like, everything's exploding, everyone's gruff military. Oh, world. great. Earth, Earth I'm so glad I chose not to play that game. World. It, the like it took until I got to the Citadel for me to be is this even a Mass Effect game? I was just shockingly disappointed in Mass Effect 3. And then it became just Mass Effect 2 again, so it's just... You and me have spent multiple hours talking about the opening couple hours of Mass Effect 1 and how that should be the full game. 
before you get into the opening couple hours of Mass Effect 1, I want to talk about the opening minute of Mass Effect 1 and how it is one of the best opening like title screens and character creations. You can uh, listen to that theme in... at the beginning of this segment. It let us in. Yeah, like, just the... Title screens in games are uh, a thing that I really appreciate one down well. I love a good title Metroid screen. Prime has a great shows... opening title screen. Metroid Prime does. <laughs> um, just shows a commitment to making... Like, when you put in the disc, the game has begun. Yeah, the menus are part of the game. And... Mass Effect has this brilliant tone of just the music plays, and then when you load it up, it's got this great fake UI. You are creating your character by logging in, and it, like in the way that games justify. I forgot about that. That's great. Yeah, because you sign into your account, and it's like, wait, your account is corrupted. Please prove who you are. And it's dumb in the best mm-hmm. way, uh, and it just sets the tone for the the world perfectly. And I'll never forget that, like, before the game even begun, I had already, like, yep, I love this game. But tell me a tale of the opening of Mass Effect and what we mean when we actually say that. So, me and Jackson have gone on record, and uh, this is the only real opinion as far as I'm concerned. Normally I'm fine with people being (laughs) disagreeable, but no, this is right. (laughs) Mass Effect should just be Shepard on the Citadel as Citadel security, because the best part of Mass Effect is when you're running around doing errands on the Citadel. Because it gives you this environment. It's not even a big environment, but there's so many little stories that intersect in interesting ways. And you're given kind of the mandate of, oh, you're kind of doing security, but it's mostly kind of in like the frame of a side quest. So it's not the end of the world, like any of the choices you make. And the game doesn't explicitly reward you for any of the decisions you make. Because you can you can no, choose like to support one person over another, happen. and like it ends up paying off some of them later on. But for the most part, the game doesn't give you any feedback about what you're doing. You're just making choices. Does well, the Hanar get that, to that pray that. in the square? Yes or no? Does the guy get his um, wife's body yep. back? Yes does or no? the uh, Stuff does like the that. weird concubine thing with the diplomat go badly or not? <laughs> <laughs> the people and the stuff with the keepers and the guy, the, those people trying to scan them, and that that leads into their whole weapon ring yep. and stuff. It gets it, there is the, a bunch of really interesting mini stories in Mass Effect's uh, opening. Like after that first level, when you get to the Citadel, that game reveals it itself. is like seven B plots of Dar- Star Trek: Deep Space Nine episodes tied into one area. <laughs> yeah, and I this I know the world isn't actually massive, but. When you, it you first feels big. Citadel, it feels massive. It feels like all the places you can go, and especially with the first mission you have, because the first mission you have is... Um, I don't know how many people did that, because I think the waypoint... Uh, I think the waypoint works really badly in that, because you get the waypoint of you have to go to the Citadel security um, briefing, the briefing with the council. Yeah, I, I, you and, have to do that, don't you? Yeah, no, no, but the waypoint takes you, one, first to the the, the VI that explains the world to you, which is amazing, because yes. that's one of the first interactions you have in the game, you walk right past it, and you're like, oh, this is an alive world with a thing, like, like, I love that, but then the, the marker to get to the um, uh, briefing mm. is to the fast travel, rather than walking to the elevator, like, the first time I played that game, I missed the fast travel and walked straight to the elevator, and the space station felt massive. Like I walked all the way. Yeah, that's the what city. I did. I didn't know there was another way. Yeah, yeah. There's a fast travel right by that VI. For some reason, I, f- I thought the first time you had to walk it. No, you okay. can't fast travel it, and I fast traveled it many times. I mean, I have two, but uh, yeah, I always walked that first one because it because make- you get to see the full length of that like promenade area where it like slopes, yeah. and it's yeah. great. 
And those elevators and the length of them get frustrating later on. But in the first game, when he's like, how big is this thing? When you're in that first, very first elevator leading up to the council meeting. God. Yeah. Uh, The Citadel security game that Mass Effect could have been is a much better game than the Mass Effect we got. One day. No. No no days. No days will that game exist. And I I don't hate the Mass Effect 2 opening. Uh, The very first thing where the ship explodes. It's Mm -hmm. fine. It's dramatic and stuff. I actually think that that one specific opening was done better in Assassin's Creed Brotherhood of all things. Because mm. uh, that's the same, yeah, sure. the exact same thing in which the location you were in the f- previous game is blown up. Uh, but that never happens again in the entire Mass Effect series. Um, I want to talk about Earthbound. Earthbound is a much more low-key opening where it starts <laughs> yep. with you waking up in the middle of the night because someone's knocking on your door. And in your neighborhood, there's a meteorite that fell, and you and the neighborhood boy decide to go out and dodge the police and go explore what happened. And it's it's such... uh, The thing I like about Earthbound is it's such a homey... Like, you're just a kid. Like, there's a very real feeling of you're a kid running around a place that maybe you you probably went a little too far and your parents are a little uncomfortable with it, but you're doing it anyway because you're a kid and don't give a shit. Uh... And it captures that perfectly and that the adults kind of just dismiss you. Like, they're like, you shouldn't be here, but they don't really make much effort to stop you because you're just a bunch of kids. Who cares? And, like, some, like one of the kids is like, no, we should go home. And one of them is like, no, we have to see. And you, you just kind of, like, swept along in it. And it's just this very... It feels like something that, ha- like, happens to you as a kid where you just go on these weird... They're adventures to you, but they're very wrapped in mundane things. And that it spirals out into a weird surrealist RPG out of that is great. But the opening just sets exactly the tone that that whole game has, which is this sense of nostalgia about childhood. Well, from you describing, it begins with you wake up because there's a knock on the door in the middle of the night. That Just that single sentence is like, ah, oh, that's so evocative of... Uh, that childhood tone of something's amiss mm-hmm. here. That sounds great. I need to play. Earthbound We're gonna do that day, for apparently. a cast. Okay. Because I want to replay it. Cool. How, how many have we got left on this list? I think I'm gonna. I'm gonna give you. Two. I'm gonna do one more. I'm gonna do one okay. more as well. Is your last one gone home? No. I'm, uh yes. Okay. Sure. No, because I, I was gonna do oh, gone home. You can do gone home. Great, this was so seamless. That's alright, I'm not even editing this out, we're just going to be awkward here. Oh great, Gone Home. Then, surprise. Uh, The opening of Gone Home, obviously, um, is, not obviously if you haven't played it, but it has the, like, you slowed up the game and that fantastic evocative logo, the, the handwritten Gone Home, and then you click the button to play, and it just fades in on the house. And... Like it's got Katie's voiceover explaining. Um, is it Katie? No, it's the yeah, Sam, Sam. Which Sam's voiceover explaining why she's not home and saying this like the rain sound mixed against the sound of answer phone messages, setting creepiness off in the very first minutes. Because mm-hmm. the sound design in that game is a, just stunning. And then the very first thing you do is you see, you walk up to the door, you read the note on the door that is like, "Don't come looking for me." Uh, no one is here, Katie, which the way it's written is almost too much leaning into making it seem like a horror mm-hmm. game because, like, you know, of, 
would Katie learning what you do about what actually happens in that game later is that really the note they'd write but it works perfectly fine for what they're actually trying to the emotional state they want the player to be in and the short puzzle where you have to find the key which teaches you everything you know about the mechanics of that game and then you just enter into this house and there's lightning going and it's overwhelming and massive like it really feels like entering because uh, a, a, she, she's never been in this house before mm-hmm. right yeah because they moved and while you, she was you, overseas yeah and you really felt oh god this house is massive I am all alone in here and sca- scary and the atmosphere of walking in through that door for the first time is excellent yeah Gone Home I mean everybody knows Gone Home is great at this point uh, so yeah. you don't need us to tell you it's true on the other hand the opening of Heavy Rain Oh, we're not doing this now. Uh, I thought this was... I thought... Are we doing this now? I'm going to talk about it a little bit. Alright, we're doing this we're now. We're not going to actually debate it. We can debate it next time. Okay. Uh, I, the opening of Heavy Rain is basically a tutorial because Heavy Rain has controls that no other video game other than Quantic Dream games have. But what it is <laughs> is you wake up in your in your house and it's just a sunny, quiet day and you're just this dude and he starts his morning and he gets dressed or he takes a shower and he gets dressed and he brushes teeth and you go downstairs and your wife left you this list of chores and you can work on this drawing because you're an architect. You can like set the table. You can just kind of go out in the yard and look around if you want. It is this most low-key exploring a space kind of game that I, I like I've ever seen it's very low impact but it's so meticulously rendered and it's presented in like full of these uh split screens and like this piano music like it's done in a very cinematic way that most games would apply to their big set pieces and it is just a man walking around a house and I think that the juxtaposition of hey, we can take these small intimate moments and because we are hyper-focusing on something that is so uneventful and mundane, we make them a poignant moment, you attach weight and meaning to them, is like what actual cinematic quality can do to a game to attach like the, the tropes of cinema to a video game. It, it's not mm-hmm. making a cool big cutscene. It's not press R-trigger to kick a guy through a window. It's this guy walking through a house suddenly it has meaning because we deem it so and that that i love like heavy rain is a shitty game that immediately becomes worse after this segment uh it's not (laughs) great in fact most of the time it's awful but in that one moment there's a glimmer of something that could have been really interesting and unique and spectacular yeah i yeah that's pretty much yep I mean, we, we could get into a long argument. Jackson about disagrees, games. but we'll talk about that. No, I, I, I don't. We're making this sound like we're way more antagonistic. I actually think you're correct on all those points. Uh, I just think that the effect it had on me is very okay. different. I, fa- I found the opening horrendously sad. Huh. All right. Not horrendously. Because it's the only it's... thing that I genuinely like about... Uh... Not in a bad way. I just... It's really sad. I don't know. There's something very existentially terrifying about the opening of that okay. game. Okay. You know what? We're going to uh, table this uh, spoiler for the next segment, but we're going to talk time. about this next time. Cliffhanger. Tune in next week. Month. Month. Sorry. But uh, we got some bonus on top of that, so stick around for segment four. We're going to do some questions. We've got some winners and losers. You might say our <laughs> questions are beyond good and evil. 
Okay, you can I'm just going to keep doing no, it. I'm just going to keep doing it. It doesn't matter if it's appropriate or not. That's multiple times. last segment we've got some questions jackson okay ask me them okay um first question is from callum what games most stick out to you with tons of potential that were never fully realized i mean i wrote about remember me so that's i need to play that i bet i'd really like i think i would really like a lot of that game okay i think yes sure yeah it, just looking at it, I'm like, this is full of things I appreciate in games, even when the game is not good. It's true, but it's the stuff that makes it good uh, that is makes it worse. If you get what I'm saying, mm. like, because you see all the things it could be, and then it is the most not that. Okay. Uh, but I, I I feel like I enjoyed Remember Me more than I'm letting on. Okay. I focus too much on negatives, but that's one of them, I guess. Okay. Uh, I would put Beyond Good and Evil, and uh, another <laughs> game that we. Uh played on this list vanquish oh god every time i forget we do vanquish we did vanquish <laughs> yeah every time someone remembers oh, oh that's right we played vanquish christ <laughs> the worst game we've played on this probably easily yeah easily yeah. that's a terrible game but it yeah. does have potential yeah we're doing it does you know yeah it could have been great it's it such not. a hard hard question to answer, I feel. The thing is, I often find things I really like in games that are bad, but I don't think... Like, I don't really, like, invest in this idea, oh, if you fixed X and Y, it could have been better mm-hmm. too much. I mean, we did we just did that with Mass Effect. So I guess but, I'm full of bullshit. Th- we didn't... Hmm, we Those would be completely different games. Sure. It's not like we say, if only Mass Effect was a completely different genre and game design, uh, uh, then it would yeah, be great. Okay, you're not, yeah, you're not wrong. Do you feel the novelist is on these games? I uh, need to play that. Yes. Okay. And I, I don't know how to articulate it because that game's broken, and not broken's a harsh word, but that game has a glaring dissonance on a very fundamental level. Okay. To, uh, um, because you're playing a ghost. Uh, but technically you're making decisions for these characters and, and it's all about how hard it is um, for them to make these decisions and the stresses of the different things you have to put emphasis on in life. But the gameplay is watching these people do nothing as they walk around a house. Like There's no actual embodiment of their struggle to get things done in the game. You're just told that it's a struggle. It's so arbitrary. Which is a shame because there are things I love about that game. I love the atmosphere. Okay. Yeah, I, I guess I don't really have a good answer for this, unfortunately. I'm trying to think. Cause I, I know that there have been games I've thought this about, but I don't know how to... 
but not so specifically in that very much. If only they had uh, this. Mm-hmm. I feel like. I feel like I, I feel kind of that way about Tomb Raider from like two years ago, but it's also like it'd be an entirely different game. Yep, I actually the the one I feel strongest in this regard about uh, is Beyond Two Souls. He asked us about it in reference to Beyond Two Souls, but we're not going to talk about that right now. So you know, come back. Shut up! N- we're not at that point yet. No, I'm just saying, stay with us and then come back. Okay. <laughs> do both of these things next question comes from Mike he asked us some dumb shit about Transformers that basically <laughs> boils down to what do you think about toys as an adult <laughs> Jackson are you into like toys at all no Okay. No. Um... I've got an array of Sailor Moon figurines that I spent way too much money on uh, I've bought a Luigi one and a Samus one neither of which I've gotten yet because Japan takes forever to come out with toys uh I've feel... got some weird pre-order bullshit sitting around. Yeah. Which I... is why I actually answered this question. Because as an adult, I feel like I'm more prone to spend way too much money on some dumb toy. But I want it to be good. And the idea that like like you pack in like a toy. Like this copy of Dishonored I got came with a fold-out map. Very exciting. It's very dumb. That sounds all right. Yeah, I, when I bought my copy of the deluxe Street Fighter 4, whenever well, I don't know why I did that. <laughs> it came with like a tiny figure of what's her face, C Viper. That's who it is, and that was a terrible <sighs> figure. Like I would rather just buy the game for the base price, and if I liked C Viper enough, spend forty dollars on a good figure of her. Classic Street Fighter character, C Viper. I, I think she's pretty cool. I don't I, like Street Fighter very much though, so I'm probably the wrong person to ask. I played a bunch of C Viper. She's pretty good. Next one. No, from... no, I, I wanted to say okay. that I feel like I'm all on the edge of uh, getting into toys and stuff because I don't know when you grow up and stop being a kid and have your own like when you're a kid you put posters up and you have your room and it's all cool and everything and then you leave and you know but once I feel like I'm on the edge of becoming a person who like wants his own space and to devi- define his own space with yes. cool stuff. Like that's why I like having copies of physical DVDs and stuff because I like having my movie collection on the wall that says these are the movies I like. Mm-hmm. And I think like toys are a totally valid part of that. Like here are some figures of things because they look cool and represent things I'm interested in and have meaning to me. I, I think that's really cool. Um, You're not wrong. But I'm not yeah. going to buy any Transformers. It's also one of those things that you invest in when you uh, have more disposable income. Yes. If buying a fuck ton of video games isn't enough for you, well, you that's... can also buy toys. <laughs> that's where I've been going. Because that's a really weird mental thing that this thing in the real world has less value than this thing in the virtual world. Like, when you think about pre-order bonuses, I feel like ones that give me in-game stuff are the only things I care about, which is a ridiculous nonsense point of view to have. Uh, my actual answer is I always want a soundtrack. Give me a soundtrack and I'll be happy. But Yeah. JRPGs know what's up. Give yeah. me the soundtrack. Pretty much. I think we covered that. That was well done. This one's specifically towards you. Brett asks Metal Gear... He hasn't said that yet. No, has he? Does he say that in the first conversation? He says with... it all over. But, like, <laughs> not... Like, there's no, like, specific line where he's, like, Metal Gear and it, like, pangs on that. But it's just in the codex. I've... Okay, because I've, I've always had the... The quote of him going, Metal Gear? Which is slightly more up-inflected than you were doing it. Yes. At the end. Uh, it's a very specific cadence. But, yeah, no, I'm playing through all the Metal Gear games. Because... You were playing Metal Gear Solid. 
one. I'm playing through all the Metal Gear Solid games. No, but I'm, I'm just saying, like, you, you, I don't think you can say you're doing that until you've done more than one of them. <laughs> no, I'm committed. This is okay. me making the commitment okay. right now. I'm saying it out loud so you can hold me to it. Good. Um, because I saw that. Um, I, I mean, I always wanted to, but I was never that invested because I, you know, listened, like, as I did for all the franchises that weren't on my console, I just read up on what happened on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so I wasn't really that invested but then I the E3 came around and I had my first oh that's what Metal Gear trailers are like experience with Phantom Pain with yeah. Phantom Pain I was which like, is I... a, a beautifully stupid trailer <laughs> well in keeping I... with the tone of Metal Gear yeah and I was like oh I need to get in on this nonsense immediately and see yeah. it for myself and uh, yeah, Metal Gear Solid 1 not delivering on that nonsense level but I knew that was the case I, know I mean uh... you're not very deep it gets there I mean, I'm sure it gets... There have already been... I cut off Revolver Ocelot's arm. Yeah. There are, there are moments already that I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. You didn't cut it off. The ninja cut it off. Oh, you're right. Raiden came in. We don't know who that is yet. That's not Raiden. What? There's more than what? Okay. I was like, oh, that's clearly Raiden. They're going to be like... No, that's, that's not Raiden at all. <laughs> See? <laughs> yeah. But that's a, that's a good thing. That and Ratchet and Clank, the two series I want to catch up on before they... Like, the movie in Ratchet and Clank's case and the Phantom Pain in Metal Gear's case. All right. Uh, Jamie asks, how do you explain the longevity of the Pokemon anime? There will always be kids who want to play Pokemon and see it on the screen. Also, it's... it's uh, Pokemon's a very well-managed brand. Like, there's a whole company devoted to that. Oh, the Pokemon company? Yes. Yes. Aptly named, really. <laughs> And uh, they've been churning that shit out. Like, it's a great merchandising opportunity. Uh, that show's been going for over a decade. They always make new Pokemon games. The thing is that they, they, they've even gotten way better about tying the show into the games because it used to be really bad about it. But I feel like they've been much better about making sure Pokemon actually have moves and, like, it works the way it's supposed to. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Pokemon games are inherently, like, a thing that appeals to kids. It's a big, colorful world. There's a lot to do in it. It's full of crazy monsters. Like, how? why wouldn't you like Pokemon? Yeah. We, we, I mean... I've watched I way too much of the Pokemon anime. Uh, I, I even was, as an adult. I was staunchly anti-Pokemon for dumb reasons. That's because um, you're pro-Digimon. Yeah, it's that's that's you can't be pro-both. <laughs> that's the, I mean, maybe the dumbest reason. I was young and shy, but I would always... At least you weren't pro Yu-Gi-Oh, I guess. That's maybe the worst reason. <laughs> I never going to Yu-Gi-Oh, but I, I did... Um, I always uh, went to bat for the ending of the se- ending of season one of Pokemon, which I watched live... Well, not live. I watched that on the TV when I was younger, and I was... My mind was blown at that ending. Oh, is that where he loses the one championship <laughs> in, like, loses. round three? <laughs> he loses to his best friend not even Not, not even the finals, just, like, at the beginning. Oh no, because it's the whole thing with his friend, and he's like, "Oh no, I have to fight my friend." And then he brought out Charizard, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna do this." And he's like, and the guy beats him. I'm like, "I'm just gonna bring out something that Charizard can't fight." And that hit me. That 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 episode was really great. I'll never forget it. I'll forget most of Pokemon, but that episode will stick with me. But, I remember a lot of Pokemon. I have a lot of affection for that show. Episode where Pikachu leaves him. No, uh, Wobbuffet specifically and Team Rocket in general. <laughs> oh, you're into the goofy stuff. Yes. And, because of course. Yeah. Who are you talking to? That's <laughs> true. I want cross-dressing villains and Wobbuffet showing up to deliver his name and disappearing. Oh, Wobbuffet. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, I. The thing you're saying about them tying into the game more ha- kind of shocked me 
slightly. I mean, it shouldn't have because I didn't have the context. But when I was growing up, Pokemon the game, Pokemon the anime, two very distinct things. Yeah, had well, nothing to do with each other. And then someone you said, played oh, enough got- Pokemon to know that when Pikachu beats Brock's Onyx, which is a rock ground type, by hitting it with lightning, you're like, what? What? And they was- try. They try to explain it because the Pikachu's lightning hit like the sprinkler and set off the sprinkler and it made the onyx super conductive, but no, that's not how it works. Those Pokemon are immune to electricity. Everybody who plays Pokemon knows this. This is this is I can sense this has really annoyed you. Yeah. But, but now there's this... a point where like Pikachu has four moves. Like you know what moves they are. That's just becoming Yu-Gi-Oh! at this point. Like, he has Iron Tail, he has Volt Tackle, he has like Thunderbolt, and he has some other bullshit I don't give a shit about. I don't know how I feel about this. Because when I was a kid, the Pokemon thing was like, they're Pokemon, they can just do electricity power, they just do things, they didn't they no. can call out their moves like the Digimon do. I, th- I feel like it should relate to the g- the games. Like, it shouldn't be like, it shouldn't be like, because like, Yu-Gi-Oh has like actual power levels going down of the monsters and stuff. Yeah, it no, shouldn't Yu-Gi-Oh be that. is very formalistically, we are playing a game. Yeah, here. but uh, I think that like, actually representing the world of Pokemon as it, like the canon Pokemon world, which is the game Pokemon world, is important. In the Pokemon game, do higher level things not attack lower level things because they're too weak for them? Uh, no, sadly. Oh, okay. I think that that question went pretty good. So we have one last question. Uh, again from Callum. He asked what our opinions are on the Diversifier panel list going around. Elizabeth Sims uh, posted a list. Uh, you can find it at Please Diversify Your Panel. Uh, please is PLZ. Uh, .tumblr.com. And it's a list of people, uh, all most, I think all white men, and specifically who she's targeting, who would sign on to not appear on panels and stuff that did not represent women as what her specific goal was. And she added a caveat of this can also apply to race and like people who are not along a strict gender binary or whatever, you know, trans folk and whatnot. Um, and she, he kind of wanted to know what her opinion of that was. Jackson, go first. Cause my answer is going to be long. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's a good thing on many ways in that one, someone is doing something about this. I think the idea of white men having to, you know, do something rather than just talking talk is very important. Uh, I liked JP LeBreton's post because I do think that here's a site dedicated to diversity and here's a list of white men. Yep. Yeah, uh, it's has is a bit odd. I don't know. I feel like it shouldn't be as it's a little too celebratory right now. It should just be a footnote. Like, no, here's just a thing. It should just be way more matter of fact. This is my policy rather than this is a thing I should be praised for. But I like the initiative of a bunch of uh, guys saying we will not appear on panels without um, women present because, you know, hmm. I, I think that that is generally a good idea. Because uh, gaming has a big problem with diversity. This is a uh, this is not my argument. I, I the the version I saw that is best encapsulated is by Rami Ismail. Yes, he is I've been the underscore Rami well. on Twitter. He is a developer for Vlambeer, um, and he uh, one of his big things is going to countries that are not 
Europe and America and Japan and talking at like fledgling game communities in those countries yes. and like giving like teaching them how to set up community and how to make games and market them and you know make a living off of that and he's brought out the fact that some of these like a whole country will have a dozen two dozen game developers and it is impossible to have diversity in that kind of thing like yeah. and it's not like you can those people can just fly people in and it's not like uh, GDC where people are spending literally thousands of dollars to go and they make that expense because that's the world they live in. These are not capitalist wonderland techno hierarchy societies, you know, like that's mm-hmm. like that kind of outlay is unthinkable. Yes. And while I think like focusing on women, women for like Elizabeth Sims specifically is like a, a, obviously her, like her goal. I don't think like assigning the hierarchy of will we get women first and then we can deal with race or people outside gender binary or whatever after mm-hmm. is right. Like that's intersexual fail. Like asking, asking like black men to wait for women yeah, to get on panels first. Like yep. that's fucked up. It is. Uh, and so it's a really messy situation. And I think it's fair that it came on like under critique and like, it's not a, it's well-intentioned. I don't yeah. think it's a bad thing that people are doing it, but it, it it speaks to a very ethnocentric viewpoint of yes. it, this stuff only applies in the West. And I mean, we're a podcast of, you know, two white folks. Yep. And uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, like it's, it's a, like we are very keenly aware of who we are when we talk about this stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I, I recommend if, uh, if you want to find out more about this, go look it up and also definitely look at those Rami tweets yes. they're on point I think a lot of his issue also was like with the name of it and the fact that it's like called please diversify your pack like the name from a distance doesn't just is like a make your shit better thing rather than specifically letting you know that this is a gender equality movement mm-hmm. which cause, and diversity comes in a lot of places yeah in a, diversity a lot of is ways. not just um, gender equality diversity is many things uh, but yeah uh so that's that's you know rough yeah. stuff i don't know rough stuff as a as a podcast has just been you and me broing it up as much yep. as we can bro which is not very <laughs> not very much at all god yeah tell me about it uh feel this keenly i don't know uh but we're gonna I, I, let's announce next month because it's gonna be a special month because we're gonna have an actual like sitting with us the entire time guest well, sitting with you the entire time. I mean, she's not going to be in the same room as me. Okay. No, sitting no, no. with both of us virtually at yes. the same time. Yeah. No, like, it would be a mess, because I, I feel like the recording would be awful that way. It really would have one person in the it, same It would have been yeah. far too... Yeah, it would have been <laughs> yeah. lopsided in some bit way. Skype podcasts are better if just Skype them. Yeah, everyone has to be on the same ground in a Skype podcast. It doesn't work otherwise. Yep. Yep. Um... Uh, so we're going to have, uh, my partner, Destiny Sturdivant of the Badland Girls, uh, podcast website. You can find that at badlandgirls.com. And we are going to be talking about the Quantic Dream duo of PlayStation 3 games. That is Heavy Rain and Beyond Two Souls, which you might have guessed if you had been paying any attention to the rest (laughs) of this episode. We were constantly bringing them up. We've already played both of them. Yep, we're talking about these very early because we have a big game coming down the pike. So we're going to record yeah. uh, fast and put this one in the can for a couple weeks. But I'm really looking forward. We have a lot to say about both those games. Uh, some of it kind, most of it really angry. 
that's been hmm. disappointing. I think the convers- I actually think the conversation is going to be really fascinating. I think you should tune in. It's a good. It's going to be a good one. Yep. Uh, so please play those and enjoy them as much as you were capable. Uh, uh, if you are going to play these, be warned: heavy rain is full of some gross violence against women nonsense. Yep. Uh, nothing that wouldn't be in an R-rated movie, but that's actually saying quite a bit these days. So. Yeah. Uh, Beyond Two Souls, much less uh, awful that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's one uh, potential scene that you can actually uh, avoid completely if you choose to. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. Sadly, I didn't even know. <laughs> yeah. But that's for next month. And... So I uh, look forward to that. Uh, it'll be good. Uh, we're not even going to do a segment to, for that because we're probably just going to talk about those games for a long time. There's a lot to cover there. Uh, you can check. Uh, you want to do Plug Zone or Plugs Rule, Jackson? Are you ready for this? I'm never I, ready I will do this. Plug Zone. You just come along for the ride. Where can people find you? In the Plug Zone. On Twitter, where can people find you? <laughs> um, uh, Jackson Tyler at Tylea002. Okay. Uh, we've got a website with some writing on it. You said anything? on Twitter. You said at Twitter. You threw the Twitter to me. I just want your Twitter first. You. You're the most imp- you're special today. Happy All birthday, right, okay. Jackson. <laughs> I don't even know when your birthday is. It's November. Okay. Um, uh, Christ. Uh, do you have anything at- on Pike? Are you planning to write anything in the next month? Uh, I tried to write a jack thing multiple times and i had to do it maybe i'll do it i will okay. i should do it now especially now i've played uncharted if i don't write something about naughty dog games all right um you can find all of our writing uh, i have an animal crossing piece i finally finished animal crossing my year of animal crossing nearly oh you completed animal crossing uh yes i mean i got the credits like eight months ago but yes yep <laughs> um and uh you can find me at lit rock you can find uh, Abnormal Mapping on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Abnormal Mapping, on YouTube, YouTube slash Abnormal Mapping. You can send questions at abnormalmappingpodcast at gmail.com. That's about it. That's like all the plugs we have, I think. The, the plugs have ruled no longer. Yep. We are exiting the plug zone. Phew. Oh, God. Rough back in there. Now we're going to socket zone. The what? A socket d- zone, like plugs and sockets, right? Okay, that, as a joke, is one of the most laboured attempts at a humour I've seen on a podcast. And let me tell you. Uh, you know, you don't have to hate. Are you saying we've gone beyond the plug zone? Oh. <laughs> uh, you're stepping on my bits now. It's unacceptable. Okay. Uh, thank you, everybody. Have a good month. Play some video games. Maybe play some Quantic Dream ones. I don't know. Maybe. Never. Go watch uh, Planet of the Apes when it comes out. <laughs> Will that be out by the time this is up? No, no it'll, it'll not be have out, out before yet. the next one. That's fair. Yeah, go see uh, uh, Dawn Rise. Dawn Rise. of the Planet of the Apes. Rise. Oh. Um, maybe go see that first one if you haven't, and check out the original ones if you haven't. They're all good. They're great. We should end this podcast. We're doing it. It's over. Okay, I'm pressing the stop button. <laughs> Metal Gear. Standing on the edge of the crater, like the prophets once said, and the ashes are all cold now. No more bullets, and the embers are dead. 
Whispers in the air Tell the tales of the brothers gone Desolation, devastation What a mess we made when it all went wrong Watching from the edge of the circus For the games to begin Gladiators draw their swords
I don't know why I get so, like, waffly about starting this stuff. I, too, am surprisingly nervous. I don't know why. We've never had any problems. It's true. I guess I kind of don't know what I want to say about Young and Evil as part of it. <laughs> Same. We burned too much cast, I think. We burned too much cast, and then we played Beyond Two Souls. Which I'd much rather be talking about right now. <laughs> Which all I want to do is talk to you about Beyond Two Souls. 